Hey everyone, welcome to the Chamber Channel's Five Questions podcast. This is the place where we take a deep dive with industry leaders for an inside look at their world. So we're sitting down today with Dr. John Newman. He's the new executive director of Volunteers in Medicine, and you came and you joined the organization in July. That's correct. So welcome to the Low Country. You, you know, you came here to Hilton Head by way of Wisconsin. So how did you find out about the job and what made you kind of, you know, decide that you wanted to move your family down here to Hilton Head? Yeah. So well, first off, I'm an East Coast guy. So I, I, my dad was in the Air Force. We bounced all over the place. And then I joined the Navy and spent the time, most of the time up in the Hampton Roads area of Virginia. And, and but worked with the operational navy and the marine corps so spent a lot of time with the marine corps elements down here and so totally knew the east coast and it was funny that about eight years ago i was just ready to do something different had been in virginia 25 years and i said well, let's try something different and and i asked my little boy he goes dad wherever we go there's got to be a whole lot of planes and i want some snow and my wife, who's from Cincinnati, says, do we have to do the snow? And uh, But we, we did. And we went to Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And Oshkosh has actually got the, the largest air show in the world. And it's famous for that last week in July. So there was a job up there to be a chief medical officer. And within a year, I uh, was asked to lead the hospital. And so I got a chance to, to work on quality around the entire market and to run a hospital. But I never left the operating room. So as a surgeon, that's, that's what I was trained to do. And that's what I love to do. So it was a small enough hospital, about 100 bed, that I still got to you know, take call and take out appendixes and gallbladders and maybe save a life on the weekend. You know what I mean? So that was still fun for me. But after eight years, the um, the winters were long, folks. And minus 54 was like the record. And I was like, this is amazing. I mean, you blow bubbles and they would freeze before the kids could hold them. And it was like, this is this is cold. Mm-hmm. And my wife said, any time, time, John, that you think you can find us someplace fun, down in the south, and we'd been coming to Hilton Head forever to vacation. I came here as a kid, and and it was funny when I was interviewing for the job. Demetri, one of our uh, the, the leaders at the clinic, said, "How are you going to deal with this culture shock of coming to South Carolina?" And I was like, "Demetri, I, I was born in Charleston," <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, okay. Then I guess you'll be all right." Yeah, but you know, Dad was stationed in Charleston when I happened to come to this, you know would yeah. happen to be born. And so it's kind of been pulling at me for a long time. But, uh, yeah, well, you're one of the many who, <laughs> you know, vacationed here and decided to call the low country home. And, yeah. you know, we're so we're so glad you're here. So how was the transition? You said you were in an operating room for now and, you know, going from an operating room to, to an office and a, a clinic. Well, I'm still whittling stuff off at the clinic, too. So I would tell you, there's already all kinds of skin lesions and whatnot that, hey, this thing needs to come off. Let's take it off. So I'm certainly comfortable doing that. But, you know, I love medicine. And I tell you what, and I love people that participate in medicine. So when you when you love medicine, you love every aspect of it, from the little kids to the geriatrics to every aspect. And and so what we're doing over there is mostly primary care. But I, I, I my learning curve has gone from... I understood surgery, did it for 30 plus years to now, well, let me figure out this diabetes, hypertension. Let me figure out lung disease. Let me figure out some depression. And and so as somebody who loves medicine, I am like a kid in a candy store, just relearning the things that I learned when I was a medical student. But now there's about a million more medications to use mm-hmm. to treat these. And, and it's amazing how many 
of those medications we actually have access to at the clinic. So it's it's exciting. That's great. Um, what do you think? I know, you know, with COVID, you know, COVID has thrown the entire medical industry for, for a huge loop, but volunteers in medicine is different because you're, you know, serving a real underserved population. What are some of sort of the unique challenges that you see coming in, you know, kind of fresh eyes on the low country, fresh eyes on, at the at the clinic? You know, it's, it's funny what a month ago, almost to now, South Carolina hit number one on the New York Times fastest growing, you know, COVID, right? And so it was a little spooky. With um, but about a year and two months ago, Oshkosh hit number one on the New York Times as far as fastest growing COVID, and so we got to experience COVID in its full glory with filling up the ICUs and and stretching out the hospitals. So I understand COVID like as probably as well as anybody because I was in the trenches taking care of patients. I was running a hospital that was stretching at it, its seams, and I was also working with a system that was coordinating and navigating patients to the best of our ability. But I think what people need to realize is the more care is given to COVID patients outside the hospitals than inside the hospital. And so our kind of at-home nurses were caring for as many of COVID patients as any of our hospitals were. And so the outpatient world, the primary care doctors, the primary the doctors' offices, they're coming caring for COVID too. And certainly we're caring for it at, at, at volunteers in medicine. With them. We get them a couple of weeks out of the hospital and then we start kind of nursing them back to health. And, and the long haulers, we're seeing them just like everybody else. But for the most part, you know, our patients are getting better once they get out of the hospital. The tough patients are the ones that are in the hospital that just can't get out of the hospital because they're too sick. But for us, it's it's COVID is something that's like, all right, we're seeing it for sure. We're taking care of the patients and they're getting better. With this most recent Delta surge, it has brought a little bit of fear because it's like, hey, this is different. And, and quite honestly, it was okay to have a little bit of that fear because we got a lot more people interested in vaccinations. And and so we've been doing vaccinations every day of the week for, for a long time. And I think, you know, our, our lead nurse, Jennifer, has probably given more COVID vaccinations than anybody I personally know. And I ran a major mega vaccine clinic. And so she, uh, she, she should be commended. But I think to get that kind of engagement with your community, you got to have trust. And so, and that's, that's probably, you know, when you look at what, what them has done is it's earned some trust from the patients. It's earned some trust from the community. And, um, but that doesn't mean that everybody's trustful about the vaccine. So how do you sit down and just talk to them? And we say in our mission statement, you know, how are we going to do this? We're not going to do it with brilliance and technology. We're going to do this with love. But when you sit down with somebody and you just really let them know, I care about you and I'm worried about you and I want to help you, they see it and they're like, okay, let's talk about this vaccine. But, you know, out of all the science that I could quote people, it's never been more effective than me saying, hey, I would just feel terrible if you got COVID. And here's why, because I actually like you and I care about you and I think we can pr protect you from getting sick. It doesn't mean I can protect you from getting COVID, but I think I can protect you from getting sick. And when you, when you speak from the heart, then people see that and like, well, you know, them has shown that they care about me as a person and um, maybe I will get this vaccine. That's great. Yeah. That's great that you can build that that trust with people. And that goes back to, you know, Dr. Jack McConnell's whole vision when he founded Volunteers in Medicine 28 years ago. So talk a little bit about have you um, 
your interaction with some of the volunteers. I know you guys have 650 volunteers. They put in 52,000 yeah, hours awesome, a year. Right? <laughs> you know, yeah, how's, just, how's, how have they been? How have they been, you know, welcoming to you? Oh, uh, I mean, I mean, the whole island, the whole community has been very welcoming. And so, you know, and we talk about diversity and inclusion and, and being a military guy, whether or not I was a kid growing up, you, you're the new kid on the block or what, even when I was in the military going into communities, sometimes you could very well feel like eh, you're a military guy. We're going to keep you a little bit of distance because you're probably going to be gone in four years. And I totally understood that. But I also totally understood when you were welcomed and included. And, and I felt that in previous places in life. I certainly felt that in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And our family certainly feels that here in, in South Carolina. And and that's important because, you know, we talk yeah. about diversity, but this, this aspect of inclusion is mm -hmm. like, I feel welcome. I feel wanted. And so... Obviously, the, the volunteers have been awesome. I, I Every day, I mean, today we're, we have a safety huddle every morning at 8.15 mm -hmm. and talk about, all right, here's what's coming today. Here's the good. Here's the bad. Here's what we're worried about. And here's how we're going to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And But there was like 40 people in the main vestibule. Wow. And it's just... It's like, wow, this is a lot of volunteerism to help us take care of these patients. And mm -hmm. and so, but that was Dr. McConnell's vision, right? Because his it frustration was. was one that, okay, we're not addressing the health needs of, of this population who is doing a lot of the work on the island. So mm -hmm. they're in our hotels, they're in our restaurants, they're doing our landscaping, and they're working hard. They got great jobs, but not enough maybe to cover healthcare benefits. And so he's like, we need to find a way to give them benefits. But that was... You know, and I never got a chance to meet Jack, but I would say that's probably 49% of his frustration was recognizing this problem. But what really was frustrating Dr. McConnell is that he had the solution living in his neighborhood. He mm -hmm. had this retired community that you don't get to Hilton Head because you're an okay doctor. You don't get to be Hilton Head because you're an okay nurse. You get to be Hilton Head because you were the creme de la creme. You were, right. you were phenomenal. Yeah. And they're sitting, sitting around retiring and they... You know, Jack said, I need to connect these two and, and really saw the vision to say, let me bring them together. And the brilliance is, you know, one, they, they wanted to let them practice in a protected setting. So mm -hmm. MIMS a protected setting, but also more importantly is to get a medical licensure. I just got mine like three weeks ago and it was like four months of paperwork calls organizing. Wow. And, and so most people aren't going to go through that mm -hmm. with them, but the special volunteer license that he negotiated with the medical board and got supported from the medical community mm -hmm. and the legislation, you know, is how we got it. So when somebody comes from a license from New York, we got a bunch of people from New York, but they come down here with the license and within a month they can be delivering care to our patients with the, you know, the the, the history of their licensure. We give them a special volunteer license and let's go take care of some people. So it's That's working. Yeah. So what are some of your, you know, vision and goals for the future of volunteers in medicine? Wow. Um, you know, I think the most important thing I'm doing right now is just listening to get the history of the past 30 years. The one huge advantage I have is Jack's wife, Mary Ellen, is still very active within our organization, That's very great. active in the community. I took her out to lunch and I think she knew everybody at Hudson's. Right. And so it's like, wow. She is still very much plugged in, but she's been able to sit down and just talk to me about, you know, Dr. McConnell's vision and really his determination mm -hmm. and just really kind of this is how it's gone about. And then what's gone happened in the last 30 years, you know, getting where we're at now and how we got here.
year. And there's still a lot of folks around here, Dr. Black and Kay and his wife, mm -hmm. and I get the history. And so I'm putting it all together. And because the one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to screw it up. Right. I mean, so this is so precious. It's like, all right, how do you how do you keep what's going here? But so I'm not coming in with, oh, we definitely need to turn this around and change it. I'm this is definitely a sustaining success, you know, effort. But there's a lot of things that I, as a physician, you know, I'm a little bit on the competitive side. And so somebody's got to be the best free clinic in the world. I don't see why it can't be. Volunteers of Medicine at Hilton Head Island. Yeah, and so when you look at safety, you look at quality, you look at efficiency of care, mm -hmm. and you look at look at how well we're doing, we're very proud of it. But we're not so cavalier to think that, oh, we couldn't do a little bit better. And mm -hmm. so we've picked out the initiatives, whether it be our mammogram screening, our colonoscopy screening, you know, how we're managing our diabetics and hypertensives to say, how can we do this just a little bit better? And, and within to a person and the entire organization, everybody, the volunteers, the, the lay volunteers, the patients and, the, you know, the nurses. All right. Here's what we can do to do a little bit better. And so we're at the point now that we're actually we know how we're doing. And that was one of the things that Dr. Ray Cox did for us is said, you know, we kind of we think we're doing a really good job, but it's we need to prove that we're doing a really good job and we need to know that we're doing a really good job. And so he put the infrastructure between an electronic health system and how to measure that. So we can at least look at it internally and say, all right, this is how we're doing. But we're not 100% of mammograms for the people that need them and deserve them. Mm -hmm. And so we're doing better than the national average, but that doesn't mean we're 100% because right. that's what we would want for our moms and our wives and mm -hmm. our sisters to say, all right, how do we achieve that? And so... You know, so yeah, so I'd say I see no reason. And and if we are the model for almost a hundred plus other volunteers in medicines, but yeah. but they're different, right? So when you have volunteers of medicine in a different state, they may not have the 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 protection of the state. They may not have the special volunteer license. So you may have to go through that four-month endeavor to get a license from them. And so it's like everyone's a little bit different. But I tell you what, at least we're connected, we're learning from each other, mm -hmm. we're sharing these experiences, and, and then we're starting to, to work as one under the umbrella of the National Association of Free and Charitable Clinics to say, hey, you know, if we have to buy a medicine, why can't we buy it together in bulk mm -hmm. at a discount? Just like any other supply chain that you would see the value of Walmart is because it's buying in bulk, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so, but there's a lot of free and charitable clinics across the country. Mm -hmm. And the VIM model really exists for if you want to start a free clinic in America, you're going to do it under the VIM model. And so all of the intelligence and the knowledge and the history of volunteers in medicine is how we start new clinics in the United States now. So it's pretty awesome. So how can um, how can the community you know help continue to support volunteers in medicine? I think you know many different ways. I think one just the, the maintain our brand, keep talking about us. And, yeah. and and it's kind of an uncomfortable conversation. But the next time that you're out at a resort or at a restaurant or just ask people, say, hey, you know, where do you get your health care? And, and, and if somebody may be young and healthy and feel like they don't really need health care, but to say, I don't have a doctor, then let them know that you do have a doctor. Mm -hmm. You have our doctors over here at the Volunteers of Medicine Clinic that honestly, you know, you deserve great health care. And I think we have the capability of delivering it to them. So one, keep the awareness going. It's an awkward conversation, but it's not one that 
you wouldn't have with somebody in your family that you just want to make it's sure important. they get the best health care, yeah. right? I think, obviously, if you have an interest in volunteerism, mm -hmm. just come see the clinic and say, what can I possibly do to help? There's, mm -hmm. there's skill sets as I'm sitting in your studio. Uh, I'm looking over at your you know, producer thinking, wow, these are the skill sets that are nice to have to get our message out. So these are skill sets that we can put anybody's to skill set to work so you don't for the volunteer. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a nurse. And to be honest, you know, some of the best skill sets we have are the people that are fluent in English and Spanish, mm -hmm. you know, to help us communicate with, you know, a good section of our patients. We've got a lot of English speaking patients. We've got a lot of, you know, of our native Islander or Gullah community. We've got a lot of, you know, good old fashioned country boys, but we've also got a fair amount of Latinos that, that, mm -hmm. But right now, when you talk something as precious about your health, you really want to make sure that you communicate very effectively. And so we've leveraged a lot of our bilingual population on the island as, can you help us interpret? And so for those folks, outstanding. If you have computer skills, we'll put you to work. you got math skills, you know, we still, you know, as we take our donations and we spend that money for our medications and our operations, you know, those finance skills we'll put to use. So... I don't think there's any skill set that anybody who's listening to your podcast that we couldn't find a way to, to put them to good use. Plus, you get the sense of purpose of contributing. And, and, and purpose, somebody told me a long time ago, John, you know, three things in life we need to really have a fulfilled life. You need hope. You need love. You need purpose. And, and hope, he said, look on your calendar. Show me where you've got hope, whether it's a vacation, whether it's a meeting, whether it's a, a, a date with your wife, right? So show me where you have hope, and that's up to you to find that hope and put it on your calendar to something you have to hope for. And Hilton Head was our hope when we were in Wisconsin to say, hey, that's our beach trip. But the purpose, everybody needs purpose in their life. And if you're like, hey, I'm struggling a little bit finding purpose in life, swing on by the clinic. Because I think yeah. that, yes, we're, it's incredible benefit to all of our patients. But the other benefit is to, there's a reason we have 650 volunteers. Just because there's, when they leave at the end of the day, even though they've given us everything they possibly could have, they left with more than they showed up with. Mm -hmm. And that's the definition of sustainability. Yeah. Well, we're grateful to have you here in the community. You guys do a great, you know, provide a great service to a, a lot of to really the the backbone of our workforce here, and we need to to keep yeah. them healthy. So. That's the whole. I mean, you said it. It's community, right? I mean, exactly. this is what communities do. I mean, you know, we're not just a town; we're a community, and so we play to each other's strengths. We we recognize a problem. We recognize we have an opportunity to blend the two, but then it's it's everything else on top of that that mm -hmm. that keeps the glue holding our community together, and to where we can walk by each other and just smile and say, "Hey, I'm glad we're all in this together." We are. Okay. Well, thank you for coming by and, and spending some, some time with us today. We really appreciate oh, it. Much appreciated. It was a pleasure to meet you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Never miss an episode of the Chamber Channel's Five Questions podcast by subscribing to our channel on Apple, Spotify, Google, Pandora, and Amazon. Just about anywhere you can get the Chamber Channel podcast. Take a moment and give us a five-star review. That stuff really matters and will help other people listen to the Chamber Channel.